This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. I am joined by Casey Lynn Atkinson, and she is not only a cattle rancher, but also an advocate for the cattle industry. And we're going to learn more about her and her operation and then what she does as an advocate. And Casey, that is actually how I found you. It was just some social media posts that you had made that kind of came through the networks, I guess, if you will, and learned a little bit more about uh, what you do for advocating and public speaking. And so we'll kind of get into that. But tell me about yourself and your background. So I was raised on an incredibly isolated cattle ranch in southeast Wyoming. Uh, We ranch about 7,500 feet in the air. We are 85 miles from town and 40 miles from the nearest highway. So it is very isolated, kind of a harsh environment. Um, My great grandfather actually homesteaded part of the ranch that we are still on today. And even though I was raised here, I didn't intend to end up full time in the cattle industry. Um, I've owned my first cow when I was three months old. Dad gave me one and I've been in the cattle business ever since. Uh, But I intended to spend my life off ranch, um, being supportive of the industry and hopefully working in some part of it, but not, you know, doing the day to day on the ranch. That was going to be what my brother did. And so. I spent some time working in higher education. I taught everyone's favorite subject, public speaking for a while to college kids and and worked with them in different capacities. I was also an extension agent for a while. I was fortunate enough to be a livestock agent. So I worked with both adults and then the youth through the 4-H program and their livestock projects. I was the county director in the last county I was in. I worked with the leadership an education development program um, for people involved in the agriculture industry for a brief period of time. But unfortunately, um, it's getting close to seven years now ago, we lost my little brother unexpectedly. And when that happened, everything changed, everyone's life changed. And so I ended up um, almost six years ago coming back to the ranch to work with my dad and Uh, be here every day and hopefully take over the operation someday. So as of right now, it's your dad and you basically running your ranch? It is. And it is. And he's about to be 79 years young. So uh, we we make quite a pair, the two of us trying to get everything done around here. But uh, it's an incredible experience. You know, I don't think most adult children expect to, especially when you're outside of this industry, um, expect to come back and be working with their their parents full time and get to spend so much time with them. So <laughs> I'm grateful for that. And how is it? How is it working with your dad? I'm sure he has some traditional ways of doing things. How is you know how does the dynamic, I guess, if you will, working with him? You know, I think it's it's been an adjustment. Um, and certainly in some ways a challenge. My brother and I were very different personality types. And so, you know, I think he had prepared mentally for all of those years that he was going to be working with my brother and having him come home to the ranch. And then you get me instead. And I'm a very different personality type. And, you know, having lived in different states, I lived in Texas, I lived in Colorado, I've lived in Wyoming, I've had the opportunity to really branch out of kind of this silo that exists in 
where we live and see all sorts of different operations. I've had the opportunity to spend time on feed yards. I've had the opportunity to tour packing facilities, you know, and so you go out and you see all of these different things. And then, of course, working in extension, you really had to be plugged into the research and what was new and what was upcoming and what was changing and what could we do differently and how could we improve. And so um, I probably came back with more ideas than he was prepared to deal with, um, you know, in terms of things that I fully believed we could improve and do better and yet marry that with the tradition um, because he my family has been here for, you know, over 135 years. And so obviously there's a lot of history and tradition and doing things right that has allowed us to be successful successful and stay here successfully. Um, but at the same time, I always believe there's there's room for improvement. You know, is there a better animal health product? Is there a better way to handle cattle? Are there little changes, things that we could do? And so it took some time. Um, I think understandably, I had to prove that I knew what I was talking about and that I had the right to be here um, and that I was capable of doing the job and that, you know, you know, I had I had a background that was valuable and I wasn't discounting the tradition and the history and the things that he has done so well for so long on his own to stay in business. Um, but that it was coming from a, a place of just wanting to see us do things better and and maybe make our life easier or incorporate something um, that would have a, a positive benefit or return on investment. And and so as we have navigated that, I think we some of that has leveled out. You know, I think it's always a challenge when someone who has been off ranch for so long, you know, the majority of my adult life, I, I, I came home to help on occasion, but I wasn't here living in Texas, living in Colorado often. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's been a challenge, but I think almost six years in we're we're in a good place. And I hope he would say he enjoys working with me more days than he doesn't now. Well, you sound like a busy person. How do you fit being an advocate and doing some of the outreach and public speaking things that you do into running a ranch with your dad? You know, I'm very lucky. I think my parents understood that it was going to be a, a difficult transition to leave a world where I could go on the weekend and go to Denver if I wanted, you know, and hang out with my friends or, you know, if I wanted to go to dinner on a Wednesday night with a coworker or somebody who was close by, I could do that. I can no longer do those things living, you know, 85 miles away from the nearest town. And so, you know, I think I feel like one of the gifts that I've been given in life is my ability to communicate both in writing and speaking. And so my parents understood that that was something that was really important to me. It was part of what I always wanted to do to support the cattle industry. And so they've been very good about making sure that, you know, if we have to call a friend or call a, a cousin or somebody to come step in so that I can step away and take part in these opportunities and do these things, that I would be able to do that because um, it's the thing that kind of keeps me sane. I do have a speaking business where um, I like to go and, and I'm happy to talk about advocacy things, but my real passion is estate planning. Having lost my brother and gone through that experience, I had some professional experience in that when I was working in extension and working with lead 
um, before we lost my brother, but now I can marry that with a really powerful personal story that I think can motivate people to really take the step to get that estate planning process done. And so that's a passion of mine to go have the opportunity to speak to different groups and to share that story and to hopefully give them some really great advice to get them started. Um, and as an advocate, I just think, you know, I think this is kind of getting to the point where it's cliche to say it's so important to tell our story because if we don't tell our story, someone else is going to. Um, but I, I, I think even though it, it sounds a little trite, it's, it's not any less true. We really are in a position right now where we're one of the few industries that exist where more people trust us than don't still. Um, you know, people still have faith in farmers and ranchers that we're trying to do at least the right thing. And so I think now is the time to go on the offensive and to take advantage of the fact that they do trust us and they're willing to hear us and they're willing to listen to us. And so, you know, for me, I have found Instagram to be a really great tool. I have a, a fair sized following on Instagram and particularly a fair sized following that exists in urban America people who don't have any connection to the farmer ranch. And so, you know, for me, it's really easy. I just have to remember to take a few pictures or a few videos of my day, right? I'm not on a soapbox trying to preach facts and data and information to them so much as I'm just sharing my day. I'm showing them every single day, the good, the bad, the ugly, the heartbreaking, the exciting, the beautiful. And so they get to see, they get to come into my world and just see through the pictures and the videos that I'm sharing what we're doing and, and how we're doing that. And so I think just in doing that, it answers so many of their questions or it allows them just to see the compassion and the care that we have for our animals and our livestock and the things that we're doing, you know, to try to take care of them and protect them. And you know, it provides me a lot of, I think, unique opportunities when there are things maybe that happen that we would normally shy away from. Like last spring, we had a heifer that ended up paralyzed in childbirth. And so I showed her hung up with a tractor and a hip jack and was able to explain um, because I had let them in at the very beginning. You know, this heifer has gone down and we think she's paralyzed. We're going to give her a little time to see if she'll get up. She didn't get up. Um, and so then, you know, the next day I showed them this, this uh, picture of her hung up and then I explained mm -hmm. to them why we were doing what we were doing. And the response was, that's so cool. Like you're trying to do physical therapy on your cow to save her life. And we didn't realize that you would do that. And so, you know, I think just letting people in and, and showing them everything that we're doing, they really do give us the benefit of the doubt that we're, we're doing the right thing for the right reasons. I think that is such a great point, Casey. And as I've done interview and farm broadcasting for 25 plus years, when we talk about sharing messaging, a lot of times uh, people, especially maybe some of the older generation, let's be honest, will tell me, oh, I don't have time for that. But what you're doing is just basically adding just a, a couple minutes to your day by pick, snapping a picture, showing a video, and then explaining it. So I, I love how you said that because you're showing them everyday life. You're not composing anything. You're not staging anything. You're out there, you pull out your phone and you do it. So I think that is great advice. I want to go back 
you said estate planning. So you, as I was kind of scouting through some of your social media, you were able to combine that with your public speaking, your desire to public speak, and then uh, talking about estate planning and specifically to a lot of groups, right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I am definitely available to for hire to come talk about estate planning with you know groups that are interested in that. I wanted to talk just a little bit more on that topic, if I may. You have your own personal yeah. st- story that you share and coincides with this, but can I just ask you a couple of questions? Like, what are some common mistakes that you see or common things that people tell you um, that may not be so helpful as they're looking at estate planning for their own operation? So I think, you know, my number one piece of advice for people who are going to actually jump into estate planning is the right lawyer is everything. I -hmm. think too often we tend to fall back on, right? It's a time intensive process. It's an expensive process. And so it's natural for us to want to choose either the cheapest person we can find or the most convenient person we can find. And I am here to tell you that is a critical mistake to make. Um, It is so important to choose the right lawyer. It is so important to choose someone who actually knows agriculture and the laws that are going to affect you. And those people can be a little bit hard to find and they may not be convenient to you. And the reality is they may not even be in your state. And I think people really are like, but I have to choose someone in my state. And the way things work, I know a phenomenal lawyer that if I had the opportunity to get my parents to do things over, that exists in Nebraska, but she's licensed in the state of Wyoming. A lot of lawyers end up being licensed in multiple states in nowadays, or she has the ability, she knows in about 12 different states, she has a lawyer already, a relationship built with them where she can work with them. So the lawyer in those states can do all of the proper licensed filing and all of those things but she can still help you get the plan put together and, you know, make sure all of your I's are dotted and all of your T's are crossed because she intimately knows estate law and planning in relation to agriculture. Um, And so the right lawyer is so important. And so talking to people who have been through the process and been through the experience, you know, what they would change, what they would do differently, what they thought of their lawyer. I mean, Zoom, Zoom solves any distance problems, right? I mean, that's one advantage to COVID is we all got really used to using Zoom, I think, and and knowing that's available. So you don't necessarily have to drive somewhere far away to meet with your lawyer because you can do it on a computer now um, and take care of those things. So finding the right lawyer is critical because there are so many things that you're not even going to think of. And there are so many scenarios you have to think of to make sure that you have as many possibilities accounted for as possible um, is so critically important. And then I think the other piece of advice that I would probably lean towards is so often when I'm talking with people about why they don't want to do it, you know, one, there's the reality that you have to think about your own your own mortality and people don't like to do that, right? They don't want to think about the fact that they're going to die, but you need to. And then so often, unfortunately, it's going to lead to really hard, difficult decisions and conversations. Um, because are you going to cut out the kids who aren't 
on ranch and leave it all to the one who's there? And is that going to cause hurt feelings? Are you going to do the opposite? Are you going to leave it all equally, even though some of the kids are off ranch? And what implications is that going to have to the one who is left behind potentially financially in their ability to move forward? And is that going to cause hurt feelings to the person who's kind of you know, feeling like I'm the one who was here and I stayed and I did all this work and now I'm going to have to buy all my siblings out. And how do I even do that? And so I, I think people tend to think, well, I'll just let them deal with it or, you know, they can learn in the will what I decided. And the amount of damage that can do to relationships, especially when people are grieving, is often insurmountable and unfixable. And so Having those tough conversations while you're still alive to have them with is so important. I know it's not fun. I know it's not pretty. Maybe you need a mediator, someone to help you through those conversations, but have them because anyone who's going to be affected by an estate plan deserves to have their voice heard. Even if they don't get a vote, they deserve to say their piece to the person who has the decision making ability, right? Or they deserve to hear the decision from the person who made it while they're still alive. Because I I can tell you that grief, it is this monster and it is so hard to deal with. And it brings up so much pain and so much ugly and so much anger. and, And it is enough. It is enough. And so if you truly love the people in your life, the single best gift that you can ever give them is that on the day that you die, All they have to do is grieve you because everything else is settled and everything else is taken care of and they don't have to worry about it because it's done. All they have to do is grieve you. And I would just say that is the best gift that you can give to the people who love you. Just let them grieve. I'm glad I asked because that was really, really good information. Thank you for sharing. And then I do have another question for you on the same topic on estate planning we say estate planning, but I, I don't know very many people, at least in my circles that actually have a plan. Where would you suggest people start with it? I know you said conversation. That's, that's probably where you would start. Right. But I mean, as far as actually putting a plan on paper. So, you know, I know there are a lot of extension programs that have, you know, at least some beginning guidebooks, um, some resources online, you know, the state of Colorado, their extension program, um, their ag business specialist actually had, I think it was called Lasting Legacies, and they would do programs around the state that you could sign up for. Um, it was less about, you know, the nuts and bolts of the actual estate planning is just getting those conversations started mm. and thinking okay. about that. I know the University of Wyoming, where I am now, they have a lot of great resources online. So even if you're somewhere else, you can literally Google University of Wyoming extension you know, estate planning or whatever, and you can find their resources online and kind of look them over. There's a series, I think, of like um, worksheets that you can go through and kind of a checklist to kind of get you started. But I am sure that there are many extension programs across the country that would offer those same kind of resources. So that would be for me probably a starting point is just reach out to your local extension and see if they have anything or can get you pointed in the right direction. Another great resource is like your farm bureau groups or your cattle associations or your crop associations, whatever you may belong to. Um, Probably 
either the leadership in those groups is going to maybe have some suggestions or they'll know somebody who has gone through the process and who has done it. Um, And one great thing I think I have found about people in agriculture is most of them are willing to talk to you. Most of them are willing to tell you about their experience, the good and the bad. Um, And so just talking to somebody else who has been through it that you can connect to through, you know, the recommendation of those groups is also a great place to get started. Okay. Now, in addition to ranching and public speaking, it appears to me, and it kind of all ties together, um, according to some of your social media, that you are also representing some of our cattle groups and um, doing some of those leadership programs. Is that right? Yeah. So I was chosen last January, maybe February, um, to be in part um, one of 10. I'm going to get this spit out eventually. One of 10 members of an inaugural program called the Trailblazer, representing the National Beef Checkoff. And so um, for the past year, and we will hopefully finish up kind of our training in um, inaugural year in January and of, of representing that program of learning how to be better advocates to connecting to maybe some different resources and opportunities. Um, but to really not only share the story of, you know, cattle and beef and all of that, but to also represent the checkoff. Okay. Well, congratulations on that. And I was made aware of that program here not too long ago at a beef checkoff meeting I went to. All right. What else do you do? Any, you got your fingers in any other projects or initiatives or anything coming up for you? You know, I, uh, obviously I, 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 try to do my speaking thing. I have the opportunity to write for Working Ranch Magazine. And so Mm -hmm. that gives me um, some opportunities to stay plugged into some different things. But really, if I have any spare time, I am a massive travel addict. Um, And so any opportunity that I have to see something I've never seen here in the United States or to travel around the world, I'm actually headed to Singapore in February. Hopefully I'll get to see maybe part of Thailand and Malaysia while I'm over there in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, I, I love to see the world. I think traveling the world and, and seeing life so different than us um, makes us better humans. Of course, I love to see any of the agriculture that they have going on in those places and see what I can learn. But, um, you know, I just think, you know, I've traveled to places like Belize and Kenya and, and seen these incredibly poverty stricken regions. And yet they are the kindest, most generous, loving human beings who have nothing. And, you know, it's just, it's hard not to have your life changed for the better and and come back home and feel so enormously blessed um, for what you have and and what you get to do in the life that we lead here in the U.S. So um, in my, in my spare time, which I don't have a lot of, but when I can, I love to travel. So that's that's kind of my my (laughs) one-off. What will you be doing in Singapore? So actually, I have a cousin who is in the U.S. Air Force. He is one of three Americans stationed in Singapore. Um, and so I'll get to go visit him, And which I, I love the opportunity to travel to places that actually have someone who has been there for a little bit and, you know, kind of already knows their way around and um, the things that you really need to experience. It, it makes it a little more fun for me than, you know, just to come in and be a tourist per se. You kind of get more immersed in in the culture and the country and the opportunities that way. So I'm going to visit my family. (laughs) All right. And Casey, I guess just one last question here, you know, just in general, going back to your 
your experience as a rancher and the other jobs that you've had, I mean, where do you see our cattle industry heading here in the next, oh, say two to three years? What do you, what are your kind of predictions and based on it, not only being directly involved, but what you do for a living as far as speaking and interacting with others? You know, I, I think it would probably be easy, especially if, you know, we start looking at inflation and drought and, you know, blizzards and fires and tornadoes and how much our inputs are costing right now, you know, to think it's going to be a little bit bleak and and not to say that the next two to three years might not be a little tough for those of us in the agriculture industry. I think that's a reality we need to face head on. But I also think there is so much room to hope and room for optimism um, as we see young people fighting to find a way into this industry and a place, um, as we see opportunities to really build relationships with people outside who just want to understand and just want to know. And for us to be able to do that and, you know, move them to be really ardent supporters of us and what we do. But I think ultimately the future is going to be progress. It's going to be making improvements. It might be changing tradition and the way that we've always done things. Um, I think we are going to have to accept that moving forward, we are going to see sort of this increase, and people are going to hate when I say this, but social license to operate the way that we want to, because we only represent 1.5% of the population. And that's agriculture across the board, not just cattle, but everyone. And so, you know, we we have to be very cognizant of the fact that we are going to see increased pressure from the outside on how we do things, which is what makes, I think, advocacy so much more important and so critical moving forward, because in showing people our lives and showing them what we're doing and that showing them we're we have integrity and we are trustworthy and we are genuine and we honestly know the best thing to do for these animals or this land that we have been entrusted with, then they continue to allow us to make those decisions. But if we don't show them that, if we don't show them that credibility and that we know what we're doing, then they are going to start to think that they can tell us how to do things and make different rules and mm -hmm. laws and stuff that are going mm -hmm. to implicate us in the future. And so it is really important that I think all of us kind of step up in our own unique way, whether it's having a conversation with a lost person at the meat counter in the grocery store or having a conversation with someone we go to church with or allowing school groups onto our farms or ranch and giving them the opportunity to see that firsthand figuring out how we can support local extension after school programs or things that might incorporate teaching agriculture to urban populations, whatever it is, we have to be very cognizant that whether we like it or not, that's the future. And so there are proactive things that we can do um, to make sure that we continue to have the public on our side and we continue to remain one of the few trusted industries that exist by the, the general public. You have made so many good points during this interview. Thank you so much for joining me. Where do we find you on Instagram? So at 10 miles past nowhere um, <laughs> is my handle. It's the number okay. 10 miles past nowhere. It's a very appropriate description of where I live. And so, um, or on okay. Facebook, I think you found me on Facebook, but it's facebook.com backslash 10 miles past nowhere. 
Um, or you can visit my website, which is caseyatkinson.com. Casey, thank you so much for your time. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you more. You as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Once again, I want to thank my guests for joining me here today. Casey Lynn Atkinson, she is a Wyoming cattle rancher and a cattle industry advocate. Thanks for tuning in to the show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen Podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.